Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed in Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are in the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. There's nothing in politics as clarifying as an election. And as the biggest, baddest budget watchdogs on the block, it's our job to help you, our podcast listeners, see the clearest picture possible of what's going on on Capitol Hill. This is not a process story. No, what you're about to hear is the Budget Watchdog's Guide to the Election, lame duck, and kickoff of the new congressional session. What's still on the legislative table? What deals might be made? What hijinks can we expect? And of course, what it might mean for taxpayers. Here to answer every question and shine the flashlight into all the right corners are TCS Vice President Autumn Hanna and TCS Senior Policy Analyst Josh Sewell. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Steve. It's good to be here. Glad to be here, too. So, Autumn and Josh, we're just days away from the 2022 midterm elections, and the balance of power in both chambers of Congress is very much in question. Josh, before we read the electoral tea leaves and game out the post-election lame duck session, what's the state of play right now before November 8th? Well, it's churning. Historically, the party out of the White House wins. They make significant gains. Every election after the presidential election, the party that's outside of power has gained seats, except in 2002. You know, and that was a little bit different because that was post 9-11. It was a different world. Uh, so right now, House Democrats, they only have a five seat majority. That's extremely small under even the best of circumstances. And the Senate, let's remember, 50-50, 48 Dems and two independent state caucus with them. So these are razor thin majorities in both. And so the fundamentals say Democrats are probably going to lose some seats, maybe a lot of seats, but yeah, things are just a little murkier uh, in the Senate. So I think uh, Majority Leader McCon- uh, Minority Leader McConnell has indicated it's going to be a very small majority, even if they somehow squeak out um, a few of their uh, seats that they want. So I think we're just, it's busy, it's churning, and it's going to be pretty, you know, tough. Got it. Got it. Either way, the next Congress will be messy. But before we even get there, there is the matter of the lame duck. Autumn, why is the period after the election called the lame duck anyway? Well, Steve, the time after the elections, but before the new Congress is seated, is called the lame duck session and the members the lame ducks. I even looked up the term and it apparently came from uh, 18th century at the London Stock Exchange. It was referring to stockbrokers who defaulted on their debts. And this November, I think, as um, we've talked about a little bit already, I mean, we're, we're members are going to lose. There's going to be some changes and some shifting around, and, but they are still going to be in office through the end of their term, which is January 3rd at noon. And that's when the new Congress is sworn in. So until then, we, we have these folks sitting there who are sort of lame ducks waiting out their term. 
Interestingly, uh, another point that I found, though, that I, for, I forgot to mention was that the lame duck was, used to be lamer. And that's because before the 20th Amendment to the Constitution was passed, folks stayed in office until March. So that was an even, even longer lame duck we had back then. Now we just have to stick it out till early January. Okay, good history lesson. So what items are on this lame duck to-do list? So the, the current continuing resolution, something we've talked about here on the podcast, um, at length of the years. So that gets us until December 16th. So there definitely has to be some action there. Um, and as you said, Steve, uh, no matter what happens in the election, as Josh mentioned too, the Democrats still control the legislative branch until January. So while a pending House Republican majority may push to get fiscal year 2023 spending bills delayed into next year, it's likely the Democrats will stick together at least to get the omnibus spending bill through the House. That's right. And a noteworthy point uh, in the Senate, um, Appropriations Committee Chair Leahy uh, and Ranking Member Shelby um, are both retiring. So they're going to want to go out on on a high note and they're going to want to push through this, this these appropriations. And I think that that's going to have a, a powerful effect, especially in the clubby Senate. And we're going to do this all for Pat Leahy and Richard Shelby um, to get it through. Josh, uh, what do you have to add to the to-do list for the lame duck? Well, I'm not the one adding it, but uh, I think there's certainly a, right now there's a $33 billion disaster supplemental that's being kicked around. And that's uh, mostly for Hurricane Ian. Uh, and that was proposed by Senator Rubio of Florida. But $33 billion is just a starting point. And I think we talked about this before because that bill does not appear to include any relief for Puerto Rico uh, or any relief for many of the other disasters throughout the country. And so you can bet there will be some kind of disaster uh, supplemental. And anytime there's a disaster supplemental, there's unrelated spending included in that package. That's just a fact now. Uh, there's also the National Defense Authorization Act. And so this is a bill that has passed every single year for now 62 years. So I'm going to assume it's going to go through at some point in this lame duck. It's basically a must-pass bill. And so... There's also, I see what else is, there's a variety of extensions and other, uh, other bills, I think, um, a round of tax extenders. We have a number of, of temporary tax cuts that uh, are passed every one to two years. Uh, and there's even a few that are coming from the tax cut bill of 2017 that are about to come due. So they may want to uh, extend those a little early. Some of those that are about to expire in 2025. And I think there's also, um, we receded to the back for a lot of people, but COVID-19 funding. The administration has still requested billions more for COVID-19 and other pandemics preparation. So there's going to be a push to try to do that. And there's other things like the Electoral Reform Act um, and supplemental spending for Ukraine's defense. So there's a lot of things that are out there uh, and a couple of those are considered must pass. And the ones that are must pass are going to attract a lot of other things that are want to pass. Yeah. And speaking of you know, all of them, the must pass vehicles. I mean, there's well, there's a handful of must pass and there's a lot of other things that get tacked on as Josh mentioned. And uh, one of those things that we talked about on the podcast uh, just what, about a month ago um, or so when they were doing the CR was the permitting reform that Senator Manchin and Senator Schumer were working towards to get on the CR. And that effort failed um, in pretty dramatic fashion because we saw Republicans and Democrats coming out against that. But that was sort of that 11th hour um, 
politicking to try to get that deal done on the CR and the NDA, the which is the National Defense Authorization Act, I should say, the um, omnibus uh, and these other moving vehicles that could come up in the lame duck could all offer an opportunity to get that tacked on again. Right. I remember the uh, the permitting reform and that uh, both Republicans and Democrats were raising a fuss about that. Um, you know, on the Republican side, they didn't want to give Senator Manchin another win after he uh, helped push through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. Uh, and um, and then some on the um, on the Democratic side of the aisle really didn't like the underlying permitting reforms and potential changes to environmental reviews. Um, and then it just ran out of time uh, to broker any deal because they were right up against the fiscal year uh, deadline of September 30th. And so um, uh, Senator Manchin pulled the plug on that, uh, agreed to pull the plug on that. But I definitely think they're going to try to make another run at it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of several things. And I think that this- like a lot of these issues, uh, it's not always on the merits that we are we are raising our concerns. I mean, this is something permanent reform is something that we've said could be good for taxpayers if done in the right way, and it's something that's needed. And but the, the way that you know process wise, sort of tacking this on at the eleventh hour, and we see the pitfalls in this: the fact that they can't get it done, the fact that um, it's just you know things get loaded onto it to get votes at the last minute that may uh, really not get taxpayers a good deal. I mean, that's that's our concern. This isn't the way to legislate. And these last minute add-on pieces are never really efficient or smart for taxpayers. I shouldn't say never, but rarely will we see something good come out of that process. So that's our concern. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an accident rather than uh, intentional if it uh, ends up being that way. So, But you're saying that these could be revived again and tacked on to another last minute deal. So what are the prospects? You know, I think it's hard to say the outcome of the elections will certainly play a part on all these things that Josh mentioned and and permitting reform, anything else that gets done. I wouldn't rule out, though, a deal on permitting. We've heard bipartisan support for the issue, um, and those bills are must-pass. So if a provision can get added on, members aren't likely to raise a fuss about these smaller pieces. You know, they're not going to want to take votes on a big piece like the NDAA, it, you know, over permitting reform. So if they can get the details of the language and get past the politics, I, I think it could work. But, you know, politics have sunk it before and can sink it again. So, um, and again, like I said, the issue, there's just no time to really work out the deals when you end up with your back against the wall having to get these bills done. You're listening to Budget Watchdog AF, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. I am your host, TCS President Steve Ellis, and we continue now with Autumn Hanna and Josh Sewell. Here's a trick question. What's not on the to-do list that we've mentioned, but might get done? Well, Budget Watchdog AF listeners know all about budget reconciliation. And that was from, we talked about this on episode 11, I think it was, Fiscal Illusions, Fuzzy Math, and All Aboard. Well, the thing is, Reconciliation is not just for passing spending bills and revenue provisions with a simple Senate majority. You can also pass increases in the debt ceiling. So uh, right now, the Treasury is predicting that the debt ceiling, our national debt ceiling, will be, we will run up against that at some point next year. Could be pretty early in the year as well. And so the there is some discussion here about maybe we could do the debt ceiling increase. So Congress is more like 
the college student that waits to the last minute to do their their essay and turns it in right before midnight. Um, they're not very good at doing things early. Why are they adding this to this already pretty full plate, Josh? What's the rationale? Yeah, yeah clearly not good at doing things early since we haven't passed our spending bills yet for this year. Uh, well, they want to avoid a messy fight. So if you've been paying attention, you may have seen that elements in the GOP are calling for conditioning any sort of debt limit increase on mandatory spending cuts. So basically, seeing themselves in the majority next year, some Republicans are saying, this will be our chance to force spending cuts on a Democratic administration. So Republicans think they have this opportunity to, to take this advantage. And so some of the Democrats are saying, well, maybe this is a tool we should take out of the toolbox for the Republicans if we are not in control next year. So this is giving us deja vu to the 2010 election, uh, as folks may remember when that was a, I think it was 63 or so, Democrats lost their seat uh, and the Republicans swung over, I mean, the beginning of the Tea Party movement. Right. And then we got the Budget Control Act out of that uh, and the uh, Super Committee, if people go back to that. Watchdog AF listeners, I mean, you know that we're we're concerned about the debt ceiling. I mean, the bottom line is, is that this is all spending that Congress has already agreed to, that it's it's either through the major entitlement programs like Social Security or Medicare, or it's um, the appropriations bills that, that have passed. And so we can't play chicken with the full faith and credit of, of the U.S. Treasury. And that's a really risky game, particularly in an inflationary environment where now you're going to have to pay people more interest to buy our debt. And so anything that kind of roils those markets is ridiculous and it, and it needs to be taken off the table. Yeah. But one thing that we have talked about in the past is that we were all around for the Budget Control Act. We were there for that, for that debate. And I think the spirit of it, the idea of reining in uncontrolled spending is something that we are in support of. I mean, but the challenge with the, like you just said, is that with the debt ceiling, this is about decisions that have already been made. Like this money is out the door. Like we've committed this. Congress has made these choices. If you really want to rein in debts, if you want to rein in spending, rein in the spending. Choose to not make those, to make those uh, spending decisions and also raise revenue to cover it. And so I think we're going to, you know, this it pr- brings back some nightmares from 12 years ago for us, but it also brings back some opportunities to say, whoever is in charge, make the tough decisions, follow your values and actually raise enough revenue to cover the kind of government you want. But when we're talking about decisions that many of you have already made as members of Congress, pay your debts, like pay our debts. I mean, we've raised the debt ceiling nearly a hundred times since 1940. 60 of those since Reagan was president, four of those under Trump. So this isn't something that's rare. I mean, if you're making the decisions to take on the debt, we need to service that debt. Absolutely, Josh. It's a blunt tool. It's a scary tool. Um, So I can certainly see the Democrats going ahead and doing that while they can get reconciliation through to kind of avoid that major, major headache. Um, And, you know, I I also could see that privately some Republicans would be happy to have the Democrats own that and do that um, rather than having to because the debt ceiling is going to get raised. I mean, now there could be a small default before it, but mark my words, the debt ceiling will get raised. Let's talk about 118th session of Congress. Um, So what are some of the things that Budget Watchdog AF listeners should be thinking about going into this next Congress and that they're going to be seeing and we're going to be talking about in the future? There are some things that need to get done next year, but in general, with the the sort of tight margins, it's going to be hard to get a lot done. There's going to be a lot more time trying to figure out where there is agreement. We'll, of course, have annual approach, so 
who knows what we'll be uh, having to talk about next September, but I don't expect it to be dramatically different than what we've had to talk about here. I think we'll get to the 11th hour, probably likely again on appropriations and be dealing with the end of the fiscal year and those pieces. We will have some other bills that are just coming up, like the FAA, and we have the Farm Bill, which, of course, I'm sure Josh (laughs) is on Josh's mind. (laughs) You stole Josh's thunder. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to say it and then leave. Just I'm volleying it over right now to you, Josh. (laughs) I mean, you're more than welcome to work on the Farm Bill. It's one of the best things to work on. I definitely didn't say that. I said it's happening, not that I'm working on it. Yeah, it is actually. I mean, uh, you know, we've all long anticipated this and we try to talk about it on every podcast, uh, but we actually should <laughs> see a farm bill reauthorization process next year. The The bill does expire at the end of the fiscal year. Um, so, you know, again, just because something expires doesn't mean you have to work on it, but uh, they're going to try to work on that. Um, and so and I think, you know, if we're not you said annual probes, I was thinking we still might be finishing this year's probes. So we could have double <laughs> annual probes. Um and I do think there's going to have to be, you know, there's some sort of, there could be some sort of budget deal. Again, if the debt ceiling isn't raised or if it's only temporarily raised, that's probably going to, that could come up again. Because another thing in the debt ceiling is you can suspend the debt ceiling instead of raising it um, under certain conditions. And they've done that in the past. So basically just suspend it for a certain number of months in order to force it onto the Republicans. There could be a potential um, opportunity there, but you know, there's, I mean, and who knows, honestly, there could be um, a few things that come up that we haven't seen because, um, you know, we've seen a lot of disaster supplementals uh, and we've seen some things pop up that we wouldn't anticipate. I think there's certainly going to be a lot of debate, too, on the spending that's already been allocated through the Inflation Reduction Act and through the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. So that's a lot of money that the agencies have. And I, I think, you know, if we do see a change in the House, it could be a lot of fuss raised in hearings in other places, even though I don't know that there's a lot of opportunity to get anything done. You still have President Biden in the White House and really tight margins in the Senate, whichever direction it, it goes. But certainly will be a lot of debate and discussion all around that spending. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, a lot depends. We're pretty much assuming, and I think all the pundits are assuming that the Republicans are going to take back the House. It just depends on how much, um, how what the margin is. But it really it depends on whether the Senate is in stays in Democratic control or if it moves to the Republicans, you know, they're just that that's the what is the game changer for what Republicans can do. And but you still have the presidential uh, veto. So, for instance, you know, budget reconciliation, it only works when one party has control of all three places of the House, the Senate and and the White House. And so um, it won't stop if Republicans have control of both chambers, it won't stop them from trying to pass something and making the president veto it. Um, but yeah. And then on the debt ceiling, the one thing I think is also kind of interesting is I don't know, and and I literally don't know um, because I don't think it's been tested, um, if you could suspend the debt ceiling and reconciliation because it's not an actual number. You know, it's so I, I that's all up to the Senate parliamentarian. Um, you know, is it policy or is it actually the same thing? I don't know. Um, so but uh, so we'll have to see exactly how that plays out. And, and you know, the Democrats may not decide to pick it up or maybe not be able to get all 50 of their senators um, on on that side of that. I think we are going to have a really busy November, December. I think it's likely no matter what, that a lot of things will be talked about, even if a lot doesn't get done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the lame ducks seem to overpromise and underdeliver. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> that is that is definitely a historical truth, I think. So, but we'll see what happens on Tuesday. 
Exactly. Well, and however many weeks afterwards, because uh, I would not expect. <laughs> That's true. We probably I mean, won't know anything on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly some places won't be done voting or won't be done counting the votes. And it's increasingly looking like there may be a runoff for the Senate uh, in Georgia at the very least. And that could be that could be the one that could be the deciding factor. It certainly was last time. So there you have it. Before the 118th Congress is seated, the 117th Congress still has work to do. And we're here with you, making sure good policy isn't left by the wayside in all the politicking. This is The Frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share. And know this, Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We read the bills, monitor the earmarks, and highlight those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode, and I hope you'll meet us right here.